Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer, This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special Voices of Wrestling presentation. Rob McCarran here, and I'll be joined by Joe Lanza in just a moment for a special interview with Lucha Underground's Son of Havoc. Independent wrestling superstar Matt Cross is going to join us as he talks portraying Son of Havoc on Lucha Underground, his past in pro wrestling, his memories of Tough Enough and meeting Hulk Hogan, and so much more here as we prepare for Lucha Underground season finale Ultima Lucha, which begins Wednesday night, July 29th on El Rey Network. Matt Cross joins Joe Lanza and I here in just a moment. All right, and we are back. Hello, everybody. Again, Rob McCarran here alongside Joe Lanza. We are now joined by Lucha Underground's Son of Havoc, also known as Matt Cross on the U.S. independent seed and worldwide, really. Uh, Lucha Underground's two-week season finale entitled Ultima Lucha will begin Wednesday night, July 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find it on El Rey Network, DirecTV and Dish Network, elraynetwork.com. Matt, Son of Havoc, how are you today? And thank you so much for joining us. I'm doing well. My pleasure. Uh, my first question is about uh, Lucha Underground, um, especially for new viewers. I wanted to ask you, how would you describe Lucha Underground and your role on Lucha Underground to those who maybe haven't watched many episodes this season or maybe just discovering it now for the first time as we head into the season finale? Yeah, Lucha Underground is like professional wrestling redefined. It's a complete reimagination of the genre of this brand of entertainment. Uh, take what you think you have know about pro wrestling, about entertainment, and just kind of throw it out the window. This is a really fresh, ground-up remaking of, of wrestling. So uh, it's being done by, you know, blockbuster people in the television industry who aren't just going with the that's-the-way-things-have-always-been-done mentality of other groups. So it's just really new, really exciting. There's cinematic uh, vignettes uh, that just, if you're flipping through the channels, it's going to seem like you're watching a movie, uh, something like this, and then the action is, is second to none. I mean, we have uh, some of the luchadors from AAA in Mexico. We have guys like myself, just really young, hungry, talented guys who are, are again, reinventing professional wrestling. Uh, Son of Havoc is a guy who's been overlooked uh, for years and just needs a platform. Now he has a home in Lucha Underground and is making the most of every opportunity that comes his way, uh, just making his way up through the ranks. I mean, it's a... Uh, Everyone is so unique. I mean, Son of Havoc, myself in particular. It's like you've got a guy that kills it in the gym every day, a guy that's a bigger guy, but he's doing shooting star presses for breakfast. You know, it's like every character brings something new to the table. Uh, you've got guys like Johnny Mundo, who's formerly known as John Morrison, who's just completely, like, motivated <laughs> beyond belief. I mean, here's a guy that could kind of sit back and rest on his laurels, and he's going out there every time and just, Tearing it up, and it's really cool uh, just to be a part of that environment. I mean, everyone is so young and hungry. So this is not guys going through the motions. This is guys uh, at the peak of their craft, just being given an amazing opportunity, aware of that opportunity, and making the most of it. 
And you're uh, currently right now one of the trios champions in the promotion with Angelico and Ivalese. Uh Talk a little bit about the trios championship, uh, what you have going on towards Ultimate Lucha, and uh, are you enjoying doing these trios uh, matches on this new platform? I mean, yeah, I think uh, the trios title is kind of, especially for myself, it really plays an important part in just the arc that my character and it, I have been on since the beginning. I mean, I think people know and appreciate that I was on the very first episode. I mean, I'm one of these first kind of pioneer guys that threw my name in the hat and was all in on this project. And, you know, I, I started out wrestling Sexy Star and, and kind of introducing the world to some degree to intergender wrestling. And then I wrestled a mini and I wrestled in an exotico and I was just kind of being thrown these really uh, kind of crazy matches and non-typical things. Uh, but every time I got a chance, again, I just made the most of it. And my character just kind of has been slowly and organically rising through the ranks. I don't believe that I was ever pushed down anyone's throat. I think that my hard work was seen by these fans and appreciated. And it's so cool to have, again, that organic kind of connection with the fans and the believers in the temple as you rise through these ranks. And then that to be recognized in this trios championship match. I mean, I got emails and feedback from all over the world. It was so cool. I mean, whether it just be a line or two from Spain and someone saying that they were brought to tears over our, our trio's title win. I mean, for those unfamiliars, it's like a tag team, but with three people, so it's even more action, even more people involved. It's uh, myself, Ivelisse, and Angelico, a young young man from South Africa who I first met in Spain back in 2008. So all of us uh, have history together. All of us, uh, again, are just aware of this opportunity, and it's cool how the wrestling world, to some degree, is small, and, and you kind of cross paths with people in and out. I've probably known Ivelisse since uh, 2009, 2010, known at Helico since 2008, and I mean, here we are in 2015, like, kicking butt on the LRA network, so it's pretty, pretty awesome. Matt, I'm glad you brought up the intergender and your matches with uh, Sexy Star and your tag team with Ivelisse, because... You know, it's, it's a bit of a controversial topic in a lot of circles. You know, there's, there's some people who are all for intergender wrestling and, and have no issues with it. And, you know, there's other people who feel like it's, it's, it's context dependent and sometimes they're okay with it. Sometimes they're not. And it's more of a size issue than a gender issue for some people. And then there's some people who are very much against it uh, for a variety of different reasons. Uh, one of which is some people just aren't comfortable watching a male, um, you know, beat on a female simulated or otherwise. Um, Talk about your stance on intergender wrestling and uh, tell us what you think about uh, you know, the this, this so-called controversy surrounding it. It's funny because on the very first episode when I wrestled Sexy Star, I mean, to be completely honest, I wasn't even really in tune with how controversial that could be. On the independence, things like this happen. I know and respect female workers. It's not that big of a deal. So for it to kind of be introduced to a national audience where there was some people that were whoa, this is kind of groundbreaking, it was neat. I, I didn't even realize I was part of that history. I mean, the fact is, like, Sexy Star is, like, an incredible athlete. Sexy Star is a badass. Sexy Star was beating me up. You know, like, that's just the reality of the situation. So why can't these people test themselves against their male counterparts? I mean, it's just, I think it's a sign of the times. I think it's an evolution. I think our show is that evolution. For whatever reason, wrestling has been so stagnant for so long. I mean, if my parents to watch wrestling or their parents to watch wrestling. It was presented in a large way, in the same way that it still is now. So it's like my grandparents' wrestling is more or less the wrestling of today. Not too much has changed. 
until now, until Lucha Underground, until this ground-up revisit. And it's like, it, it, it's just representative of our culture, of our times. It's, it's, I mean, look at the Avengers. No one, I don't think, takes issue with the females mixing it up with the males. It's just that's the world that we live in now, and I don't think they should just be segmented to their own little cast aside and they can only wrestle one another. And, I mean, they want to test themselves against the men. Why shouldn't they be allowed to? And, and again, like in this crazy, fantastic world that is Lucha Underground, uh, I think it, it, it fits. It just makes sense. Yeah, I have no issues with it in the context of Lucha Underground. Like you said, it's this, uh, it, it, like you said in the beginning of the podcast, it's it's sort of a, it's, it's wrestling redefined. It's it's a whole different sort of uh, uh, context and world that you guys have created. Have you personally received any negative feedback uh, due to some of the intergender uh, things that you've done on the show? Personally, no, no, whatsoever. <laughs> Anything I heard was just people excited that it was getting kind of seen on a national stage and, and felt like it was a long time coming and I think it differentiates our product which is different in every possible way so this is just yet another way that it sets itself apart and speaks more to our generation and our times and doesn't seem as stagnant or tired as, as I think other things uh, kind of come across. Let's talk about your history a little bit. You have a gymnastics background and I have preached on this show for years that I feel like gymnastics is really an untapped resource for professional wrestling in terms of a pipeline for potential talent coming into wrestling. I mean, when you talk about the agility that gymnasts bring to the table, the athleticism, the pound for pound strength, I'm shocked that we don't see more gymnasts converting to pro wrestling. Of course, there's you, there's Johnny Mundo who has the uh, gymnastics background. Uh, there's a few guys on the independent scene like Bolt Brady. But to me, uh, it seems like such a natural pipeline. And, and also when it, when a gymnast career ends, there's really no professional gymnastics circuit to go to. So you would think that there would be uh, more of an effort for people recruiting wrestlers to look towards gymnastics. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of crazy. It's like you said, it's, it's a very, sometimes, sometimes people think that it's very strange for me, but, but kind of what you alluded to, I think it's a very natural progression. Uh, if you're on Olympic track or not, you pretty much know by the time, I would say you're about 11 or 12 years old, whether you're an Olympic hopeful or not. I mean, you're pulled out of school, you're sent to the Olympic Training Center in Denver. I mean, you, you, your whole life is then dedicated to that at a very, very young age. So, and even if you are to be one of these people and you are to make it to the Olympics, like you said, what do you do post-Olympics? And that's best case scenario. So the rest of us that do it up through college or high school or whatever it is, there isn't exactly a career path outside of maybe coaching. So to me, I sat down and, and, and you know, had a hard heart with myself, and I was like, what do I enjoy? I enjoy lifting weights and doing flips. That's progressive <laughs> to me. That's <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, you, I think a very the, natural progression. Yeah, so my, I mean, my, the my skill sets kind of, are very much match. I mean, it's shocking to <laughs> me that, that, you know, you see WWE with this performance center, and, you know, they're recruiting from different places, and, it's just shocking to me that they haven't really looked to gymnastics as one of their prime uh, pipelines for talent. I mean, it, to me, it, you know, the, the, the skill sets are very similar. Yeah, absolutely. And who knows, that, that could change with the times as well. Because, I, I mean, the obvious answer would be that uh, WWE in particular has always been like this land of giants and just humongous men. And obviously, high-level gym, gymnasts aren't going to be uh, just like these enormous type people. They're going to be the strongest. They're aesthetically going to be the best looking, they're going to be, you know, phenomenal athletes, and they are involved in the hardest sport in the world, bar none. So they are 
more than equipped for it, but they're not going to be that traditional nine-foot-tall, 7,000-pound guy that they look for. Now, with guys like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins completely changing everything and reinventing wrestling, it'll be interesting to see where things go in maybe two, five, ten years. Maybe we'll start to see a lot more of that because they seem to be looking more for athletes, more for passionate people that enjoy professional wrestling and things like that, and less concerned with, oh, this guy's nine feet tall but can barely walk. You know, you mentioned early on that Son of Havoc is a guy who's been overlooked and has a chip on his shoulder. Um, I get the sense that maybe, you know, when you're portraying Son of Havoc, you're drawing a lot of inspiration from your own career. Uh, is, is that is there a chip on your shoulder that you sort of uh, transition, you know, when you're, when you're doing this Son of Havoc character? I think that's fair to say, yeah. I just think I've been a guy that's ready for years and, and needed a platform. And I'm just so grateful and so happy to be a part of this. I've been offered other wrestling contracts in my career, and I never signed anything because I wasn't completely comfortable with it. I didn't know if it was for me. And, and this is the first wrestling contract that I have ever signed in 14 years, and it's because I believed in the product. It wasn't just another wrestling show. It wasn't just a ring with the people involved and the vision involved. It, it spoke to me as a person. I mean, I'm always... Uh, kind of on the cutting edge or into the underground or these kind of ideas. This was something fresh and new. I wasn't just going to be another cog in the system. I was going to be uh, part of a, a hungry group of people creating something new. And that just artistically spoke to me. You know, I wasn't, again, just going to be another guy that could be cycled through. I mean, creatively, my ideas are listened to and, and taken into account. Uh, it's like fulfilling in that way. I was going to be around guys of a similar style and similar stature and similar skill sets, guys like John Morrison. And and, and it just it, it was so exciting to be a part of that. And, yeah, I kind of go full circle. I, I, I feel like I've been ready for quite some time. Uh, I, so once I got this opportunity, um, this, was, this was the opportunity to prove everyone else wrong and show what, I, what I've known for years. Like, I need approximately five to ten minutes once on television and I'll be selling T-shirts nationwide. That's what I've always felt, <laughs> and, and now I believe I'm proving that. Did the Tough Enough experience, did that really beat you down, or did you come out of that with a positive outlook? What was your mindset coming out of Tough Enough? Uh, it was uh, fairly negative. I thought that that was the opportunity that I've been working for at that point for 10 years, and it turned out to just be a television show. So it was pretty disheartening going into that and thinking you were going to be given a legitimate chance to, to showcase your talents instead of just having what are your actual dreams uh, exploited for, for ratings, which was just pretty disheartening. Uh, <laughs> again, like there was, what, 13 other men and women on the show who went before the country and, and said that their hopes and dreams and goals in life were to pursue a career in professional wrestling and, and how many, if any, are even still wrestling. So it's that irked me, and it irked me from day one that people would go on television just for this exposure, just for this 15 minutes of fame, just for this Kardashian effect, to, to exploit what is actually my dream, what I had been traveling the world for 10 years to do, and what I will continue to do. I mean, here we are four or five years removed, and I'm sleeping in airports, flying 20 hours at a time, going to the gym every Friday night, doing everything that needs to be done, because there's no lip service involved. This is actually my dream. This is what I have actually worked toward. This is what I eat, sleep, and breathe, and not in some kind of lame, cliche thing, because people see that, and they say that, but very, very few people mean that, you know, and it's like, I, I mean it and, and live that every single day of my life. 
Matt Cross, Son of Havoc, joining us. Lucha Underground season finale, Ultima Lucha be, uh, debuts on uh, July 29th. Tomorrow night, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on El Rey. Matt, uh, the Tough Enough experience might have been a negative for you, but did you gain any positives from it at all, especially now that Lucha Underground is kind of a mix between a TV drama and a wrestling show? Are you using any of the acting stuff that you picked up there or what other influences that you uh, may have had in the past are helping you with this show? There were two very unexpected and very awesome things that came out of Tough Enough. I I, I always teeter with saying, I wish I hadn't got that call, or I wish I hadn't answered that call, I wish I hadn't returned that call, I wish I had never even done it. But I have to stop shy of saying that, because one, the host was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had thought that, at best, we would run into him on set. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't so much the case, and I don't know about the other competitors, but he's kept in touch with me to this day, which is obviously not part of his contract to pick one or two or however many people and then just become friends with them. So I'm insanely grateful. I don't know how else I would have obviously been able to be on a, a relationship like that where I can just get an airport and a layover and I can call him and pick his brain and ask him questions. And, and he's been very helpful. And, and he reached out to me, you know, post-show, which I would have never expected. And again, here we are years later. I, I did American Ninja Warrior last year and, and was able to call him before that and just remind him to watch it and to check it out. And he told me everything about Broken Skull Ranch, which was about to debut at the time. And, and it's just insane to, to talk to another guy that just cares so, so much about professional wrestling and about the future of it. Um, so obviously that was like, uh, you know, a, a priceless uh, connection that I made and, and don't think I would have been able to make outside of the show. So that was unexpected and, and very nice. And then the other unexpected uh, perk of the show is that since it was a television show, uh, Lucha Underground is also a television show. And a lot of the same people are involved. So um, I, uh, in my, my short time there, um, I did make a mark on people, though that wasn't televised. But they did see what I was doing there. They did see what was happening. They did see the actual reality of the situation. So then when this show came around, I was one of the first people called to be a part of it. So I, I'm very grateful that, uh, the, you know, the same people that made the Tough Enough television show uh, are involved in this. And then they uh, saw something in me and have, have given me this opportunity that, again, I just am so grateful for and trying to make the most of. I thought your Tough Enough elimination was gut-wrenching to watch from the perspective of, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, but the feel that I got from it was uh, the reason they gave for your elimination was that you just didn't show them enough. And, you know, in that scene with, you, with yourself and Stone Cold, and, and I remember you saying to him, I can show you things you've never seen before. I believe that was the, that was the exact quote, and he said, "Nope, mm-hmm. it's too late. You haven't done enough." Now, what I got from that is earlier in the episode, they gave you five minutes to have a little match with, I believe it was Luke, if I'm not mistaken, and you kind of held back. But I can kind of see where you were coming from there because if you do do too much, if you go in there and do all these flashy high spots, they're going to criticize you for doing too much. Uh, but then on the flip side, you kind of let him you know, take the match and, and eat you up and then you get criticized for not, for not doing enough. So was that kind of like your mindset when you were in there with Luke and, and, and is that kind of what you regretted when you were being eliminated? I mean, you could uh, take the exact footage that was filmed and then the six days, I believe, or maybe seven that I was there. You could re, I mean, that footage I assume is sitting on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. You could take that exact footage of everything that actually happened over those seven days, re-edit it. And I would have my own television show on the WWE network. Mm-hmm. I mean, I jumped in a fire. <laughs> I uh, 
uh, turned the kitchen into a parkour course every single day. I woke up and break danced. When everyone went to bed, I would go down to the kitchen and juggle avocados on the table. And I was a maniac the entire time, knowing that this is my chance to entertain, and I'm a born entertainer. So again, you could take the exact footage that was run. Not only would I have won the show, but I would have my own show now on the network. So people uh, are mistaken and think that these shows are edited for time, and that's not correct. They're edited for content. So everything that you just said was, was how it was presented, but is not how any of that happened. So it's, it's a, I didn't know any of that until I watched the show along with the rest of the country. And then I said, oh, okay, I'll be done like that. You know, (laughs) I mean, I get it's hard to, anyone that knows me knows I didn't go into a ring, have a three-minute match, and not do anything. You weren't shown the three-minute match, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's a, these shows are very interesting. And again, like, I, I would, part of me wants to say that I wish I had never done it, but I have to stop shy of that because, again, with the, being able to be in touch with Stone Cold to this day, who wouldn't have kept in touch with me if I had blown these chances or if I had done these things? I mean, the respect that I showed him and I showed the show is what makes you progress in this business. It's why I've been involved in professional wrestling for 14 years and why I'll be in it for the foreseeable future. And he saw that and he respected that. And he knew I wasn't just putting lift service to this being my dream. He knows I put in the time. He knows who I was and what I do and has been very supportive. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful for it because it's gotten me uh, these opportunities now. I mean, I'm speaking to you now because of Lucha Underground, which happened, you know, weirdly enough, out of Tough Enough. So aside from chopping all of your personality out of the show, uh, you have no regrets for what you did in the ring either. That just wasn't presented to the audience. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's a, if I could go back in time and literally have a time machine, I would not change one single thing. And I think that's insanely telling. I would, I would go back and do the same stuff. I would, the only thing I would change is hire myself as an editor and, and show the things that I was doing. And you can see through the cracks. I mean, when you get quotes from some of the other competitors who are talking about how unbelievably shocking my elimination was, mm-hmm. how would it be shocking if I had truly been boring, if I had truly been holding back? These people didn't know who I was. Why would that be shocking? A guy who's boring and didn't have it, didn't bring it to the table, got sent home. That's not shocking. <laughs> So they kind of played both sides of the fence, you know. Do you think in a lot of ways the entire show is just a complete work where they, you know, decide how they're going to present somebody and, and, and how they're going to portray them on television and then they sort of work backwards from there? I mean, it, it, <laughs> the smart people can figure it out. I mean, you sign many contracts, so I have to be careful with, <laughs> with I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. The question was part rhetorical, but I, I – I, I'll let Rob slip in there and save you. Go ahead, Rob. Give him something else. Uh, I want you mentioned uh, doing the parkour, and we have the gymnastics and all that stuff. Do you? Uh, I, are you involved in parkour activities? Do you do this stuff outside of wrestling? Uh, and what kind of enjoyment do you get out of that? Yeah, I mean, I, not something that I've ever like necessarily competed in or do as part of a, a formal club, but it's more just something that uh, I do in my free time. It's always been. So interesting to me because I think that there's like nearly a stigma attached with gymnastics. Like I doubt many people truthfully, and in my experience coming up in it, doing it for 11 years, it wasn't really, hey, I do gymnastics. Whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. I mean, it was like, oh, gymnastics, and you, you would get picked on eventually. So, I mean, this is a sport that's so hard and you dedicate your life to, and it, it, you don't really get th- this respect from like a societal standpoint, which I've always thought was hilarious because to me, Gymnastics in any other form is cool. If you do it with a snowboard on your legs, 
it's awesome. It's the X game. Mm -hmm. If you do it outside, it's parkour. It's cutting edge. It's the coolest. If I do it in a wrestling ring, I'm the best. You know, it's, it's so funny because to me, at its root, I'm like, this is, this is gymnastics. It's just not being performed in a traditional gym. So, so that's always been part of me. I mean, I'm, when I was six months old, I used to climb out of the crib I was in, take myself downstairs, and my parents would get in a fight about who put me to bed incorrectly. They didn't believe that I was able to get out until they had to watch me. Again, at six months old, scale the side of my crib, climb down the other side. And so, I mean, that's just in my DNA. To, my grandma went bungee jumping to like celebrate her 70th birthday. It's like my pedigree is just insane people, so this is what we do. So it's just a very natural uh, until the wheels fall off, I'll be outside doing flips, climbing things, jumping over things. So again, I don't do it in the sort of like formal setting, um, but it's always been something that I've uh, been interested in. And, and now with these, uh, with the popularity of things like American Ninja Warrior, there are gyms popping up across the country. And, and when I get a chance to, I uh, go to those things. I know Johnny Mundo is involved with uh, the Tempest Free Running Academy out in Los Angeles, and he kind of turned me on with them. So when I was out there sometimes with Lucha Underground, I was able to... Uh, swing by there and, and work on some of their obstacles and, and stuff like that, which, you know, obviously was a lot of fun. But, but yeah, that's just something that I'll always be interested in, you know, just the idea of the, the human body in motion. I think we, uh, as humans, are designed to move, and, and, and I like to uh, take advantage of that. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier that with Lucha Underground, they really listen to your ideas. Uh, they take your feedback. You know, I get the sense that with Lucha Underground, from the, from the things I've, I've heard other people say and, and from other interviews I've listened to, that it's, it's really a great locker room atmosphere. Is that the case? Is it, is it really a great place to work? And, and kind of walk us through uh, uh, the backstage atmosphere of the company and, and, uh, and things of that nature. Yeah, it's awesome because I think, again, I think it stems from the idea that we're all aware of the situation that we're in. I mean, wrestling, there are so many false promises. There are so many things that don't pan out. There's lies. There's politics. There's all this shady and, and ugly things that are involved in the business, unfortunately. And now here was this thing that was presented to all of us, Luch Underground. I mean, it's, it's, it is roughly redefined. It, it's, you've got guys like Robert Rodriguez involved, and it's just that the pedigree of everyone there is insane. So no one is new. We're all, we've all been in this business and kind of know it intimately for many years. So we're all aware of... of how you get screwed, and, and how other people have, again, not come through where they said they have. And this show has come through in every way, every time, and gone above and beyond. I mean, it was explained to us, and you obviously have that air of skepticism when you're involved in the business of, are these people really involved? Is it really going to play out like that? Are we really going to be treated that way, <laughs> you know, that well? And then when I got there, I'm still almost, we started filming, I believe, in September. It's many, many months removed, <laughs> the season finale is going to air, you know, the first part of it airs tomorrow, and I'm still waiting for the catch. <laughs> I'm still like, where's that, where's the bad part? Where's mm -hmm. the part where something doesn't come through? Where's the part where there's empty promises? Where's the part where I'm just, I feel stifled and, and all that? So I think all of us are, once you showed up on set, once we got one or two under our belt, we could see, like, hey, this is legitimate. This thing has legs. This thing has a chance. We're all part, I mean, Anyone involved in professional wrestling is a wrestling fan. We're all fans. And as a fan, I, speaking for myself, have clamored for some sort of change or genuine alternative or something fresh or new forever, forever. And now not only are we getting that, but I am a part of that. I mean, that's 
everything I've ever asked for. And I think that that feeling permeates the locker room. Everyone knows, hey, we are fans. This is what we wanted to see as a fan. We are part of it. We're being treated well. Let's not screw it up. And it's just so fun to be, I mean, again, our ideas are welcomed. <laughs> our ideas are often used. I mean, it's, it's creatively, it's fulfilling. Uh, it's just in every possible way. It, it's amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. And then even the guys like Alberto Del Rio or Johnny Mundo or these guys that have this name value, Chavo Guerrero, guys that could uh, sit in the back or sit in their own locker room or kind of critique things or, or, or distance themselves or start a little click or something like that, haven't. I think they've done a great job of assembling a locker room of just good personalities so that everyone is having fun and getting together. I'll come through the curtain. Johnny Mundo will be one of the first ones there to be like, that was sick. Like, that match ruled and just so happy that we're pushing the envelope. And I obviously am doing the same for him. I mean, I'm watching the monitor. I'm like, no, he's not going to, he's not going to, he just did that. Like he's doing the craziest stuff that he doesn't need to do, but he just, he feels that motivation and that appreciation. And when it, it's amazing what you can get out of pro wrestlers, if you just not even go that extra mile, but if you just appreciate them. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, again, I'll speak for myself, but I know that that appreciation is, has gone so far, it makes me want to push the envelope. It, it, it reinvents me as a performer. I want to continue to get better. And I'm in this environment where everyone's just pushing, pushing one another and so happy for one another. And, and it is a really, really cool locker room. I mean, that, it, it, and that's part of the appeal to the whole thing, to just have us be treated well, have everyone get along. And, and again, it stems from us being aware of, of, of what's, what's happening, what we're creating. Has there been a presence for people like Robert Rodriguez and Mark Burnett, or are they just essentially names on the credits? Uh, I know that they see everything. So, and then it's, it's their people that are involved in everything. So down to the directors and the lighting people. I mean, everyone is, is kind of involved. And I think that is one of the great things that we have because it, it's not the old boys club of wrestling. It's not, that's the way things have always been done. I mean, we're not trying to like compete with anyone on a wrestling sense as much as we are on a television sense. I mean, these are television people who are the best at what they do, and what they do is television. So, <laughs> I mean, and I think that the proof is in the pudding when you watch the show. It's like, it's so innovative and, and just pushing the envelope and, and crazy, and it's that evolution of entertainment. I mean, Breaking Bad was very different than the Brady Bunch. It's like the way it's shot, the way it's presented, what happens. So I think all of Robert Rodriguez's and things like this uh, who are used to, uh, you know, and in tune with that change in the entertainment industry at large are using those same concepts here. And it's not, well, that's the way it's always been done. Like, that's never, no one, no one rests on that. No one defaults to that. It's just like, oh, sure. how, can we, how can we push the envelope here? Or how could we do this? Or why isn't it done this way? Or, you know, it's just, it's, it's cool to, to take that risk. I mean, the show itself is like a huge risk. And it's, it's just amazing that, People, uh, you know, <laughs> got the balls to, to give this thing legs and to give it a chance. And I think, I mean, the feedback that I'm getting from all over the world is just incredible. You know, it's, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's motivating in and of itself. And it's nice to, to again, be that, be that change that I, for one, have wanted to see. I think it would be irresponsible for us not to ask because we get asked all the time and fans are very nervous about this. There's been no confirmation from El Rey. There's been no confirmation from Lucha Underground. Everyone's worried about, they want to know what's up with season two. What have you been yeah. told personally from the powers that be about season two? What's the deal? Uh, 
as far as I've been told, I know that all hands are on deck and everyone's working as we speak to, to make it happen. I mean, they're aware of how good it was. I know the network is interested. I know Lucha Underground is interested. I know everyone is, is kind of on board, and it's just a matter of kind of, you know, get, ironing out those little kinks and figuring out the, the small financial things and crossing T's, dotting I's, that kind of stuff. But the interest is all there. The feedback has been incredible, and we're looking forward to Season two, everybody's just amped up to to get going again. You know, it's 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 uh it's, it was so fun to do. You know, again speaking for myself, I'm like, oh, yeah. please let's just get back out there and keep going. I mean, as we head into the season finale, and I look back at season one, it's like I can't even believe how crazy it was. And <laughs> it's like, what would be in store for season two? You know, now that the writers and the teams have had this little break to kind of refresh and recharge, and like, what are they going to come out with now? Now that we've almost seen in some degrees what we can get away with and what works and what doesn't. It's just really exciting to, I mean, I just want to keep pushing forward with this because it's so, it's so new and so different and, and get, and get more eyes on it. I mean, every day people tell me too, that they have never seen it before or that they just showed it to their fr- friend for the first time. And we are, you know, ending uh, the first season and it's, it's just, and there's so many more people that could see it because again, the feedback has been so good. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to work and I know they're all the, sitting together in these meetings and, and making it all happen now. So hopefully, and I assume we'll know uh, sooner than later. And it's like you say, it's it's kind of different because you're dealing with television people as opposed to wrestling people. So from that right. perspective, maybe it's being handled a little different in, in terms of the, of the next steps that they're taking. But is it, is it a little frustrating from a wrestler's perspective? I mean, you've got to go out and earn a living. <laughs> you've got to go out and take bookings. Sure. Uh, have you been given any dates or been told to keep any dates clear for potential tapings? Because, you know, it's only fair. There's a locker room full of people who, you know, by this point, we're at the end of July here. I mean, you know, uh, you know, most of the caliber of people that you'd find in that locker room would be booked out well into the fall by now. Right. Like you said, it is being treated differently because it is a televised product. I mean, you're not going to have that uh, year-round aspect of something like the WWE. It's, it's I mean, the... This season in particular, I think the network had ordered 39 episodes, which we are coming to the end of right here. And there's obviously 52 weeks in a year. So there was a built-in break from the beginning. It was going to be treated like that with with seasons and starts and finishes and the shows each having names. And so it is like a complete it's – a, it's a new model of professional wrestling. It's, it's its own entity. I mean, it's really – it's so new and fresh and innovative that it's, it's new in every possible way. So I know it's, it's sort of hard for – wrestling people and fans to kind of wrap their heads around that at times, myself included, because it's like, what do you mean it ends? Or what do you mean? Or <laughs> I guess there's no better way of explaining it than 39 episodes of weekly television, 52 weeks in a year, there's going to be a break. <laughs> so it, it makes sense. And, and it's so good that, you know, I just can't wait to get back to it. And I haven't been told to, to keep any dates free or this or that. I just know that everybody's, they're going to let us know as soon as they know. And then again, I think we'll know, sooner than later. So, I mean, I signed a contract with them and I'm happy to have done so. So, uh, as soon as they start back up, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. We got a couple of questions coming in from uh, listeners through email and Twitter at voices wrestling and at shake them ropes. Uh, the first one, uh, Matt for you, have you ever thought about an end game in wrestling ever thought about, uh, when you might be done and transition to something else? I don't assume it would be anytime soon now with Lucha underground going on, but have you ever given any thought to that? Uh, only passingly, and that's pretty much because it's scary. I think that all of us will need jobs uh, post-wrestling. I mean, I think when you got guys like 
Hulk Hogan, for example, is still working. I, I don't necessarily think it's – I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they want to on some degree, and then I'm sure they need the money uh, on another degree. So I don't exactly think I'm Hulk Hogan. So if he's got to work, I'm going to have to work. So I know there will be uh, jobs post-wrestling. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a scary thing. I mean, I have my degree in communications uh, from Cleveland State, so I graduated with honors. So uh, theoretically, uh, I missed my graduation ceremony because I was wrestling, mm-hmm. and I wrestled throughout. So uh, I had some very nice teachers who I met with at the beginning of the year and explained to them uh, the unique situation that I was in and that I wouldn't be at classes most likely on Fridays because, uh, you know, I was driving the world as a wrestler. But that was important to me to do, to, to have something to uh, – fall back on it. And even more than that, it was important because I think that uh, societally it's viewed in a certain way and I didn't want to be the quote-unquote dumb wrestler. Mm-hmm. I think if you have a bachelor's degree, people kind of look at you differently and all of a sudden I wasn't the dumb wrestler, but I was the interesting guy who's college educated but chose to pursue this profession. So uh, I always kind of wanted and liked that distinction. So in a Theoretically, I could do something with my communications degree. I've uh, loosely thought about something in radio. Um, I think that would be, you know, I think that at my heart and, and a lot of wrestlers' hearts, again, I'm an entertainer. I mean, when I turned 16 and I got a driver's license, I didn't just go and get the driver's license picture. I grew a giant curly mustache and I wore a stupid old Western vest and a scarf. So I looked like some ranch hand cowboy and I you know, played it in when as soon as I got to the DMV, I walked in like it was a ranch and I was chewing on a piece of straw. And it's like, that just speaks to me as a person. No one paid me to do that. I didn't put it on YouTube. I wasn't doing it so anyone could see or tear. I wanted to laugh at my own license. So at my heart, I'm an entertainer. So I imagine I'll be doing something in the entertainment industry, uh, whether that's radio or TV or whatever. Um, But again, I don't foresee that happening now. I'm just saying, so busy in wrestling that it's just I don't even like thinking about it because it's like takes you out of this everything that I ever wanted uh, in this business I feel like it's happening right now I mean I'm, I've been to 20 countries I stay busy every single week I got back from Tennessee yesterday I go to Las Vegas in two days it's just it's easy to put off like what will I do in the future because I need to check in for my flight for tomorrow you know it's like, and then I should watch myself on that right network uh defend our trio's title. So there's just so many things happening. It's, it's, again, easy to put off. I guess I'll cross that bridge uh, when I get to it. And, I mean, I'm just so happy with Lucha Underground that hopefully it lasts forever, and then I'm happy forever. I mean, I know you can't wrestle forever, but if I could just do this, this until I can't do it anymore, I'd be happy to be with them till the end. You really have been everywhere. You were the, <laughs> mass, you were the masked raptor in Noah. I mean, a lot of people don't remember that. Uh, but yeah, you were in there with Masawa and everything else, so uh, you really have been everywhere. Yeah, it's, my career is like really kind of crazy. Like I doubt, honestly, anyone but myself, and no fault of their own, because everyone there's millions of wrestlers and millions of people, and everyone has their own life. But if you sat just anyone down, I doubt that they would be like, oh, the guy who was on the cover of the Backyard Wrestling game back in the day and a playable character is the same guy from the Backyard Wrestling videotapes that we saw 15 years ago, is the same guy that was on Hulk Hogan's Hulkamania tour of Australia, mm-hmm. is the same guy that was on the Ultimate Warriors' last show ever in Baltimore, uh, Barcelona, Spain, in front of 16,000 people, is the same guy that's been in 20 countries, is the same guy, you know, so on and so forth, it, from Tough Enough to Ninja Warrior to Lucha Underground. Like, I doubt anyone like my mother included, realizes that, oh, that's the same guy that's done all those things. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a crazy whirlwind 14 years. 
Yeah, your your resume is impressive, and that's without even mentioning like the wrestling society X's out there. Like you've been, like you said, you've, you been, you've been everywhere. Yeah, I threw uh, things off the top of my head. I literally forgot. Right, that, like a giant television show on MTV. Yep, a pretty big deal at the time. Um, you mentioned Hulk Hogan. You were on the Hulkamania tour. Were you a Hulk Hogan fan growing up when you were a kid? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that he kind of uh, uh, you know introduced wrestling to me, and, and yeah, for sure. That was what was really cool about being on that tour. I remember going to. I think it was SummerSlam 1988 was uh, in Cleveland, Ohio at the now now defunct uh, Richfield Coliseum, and I was there. And before the tour, I was like, you know what? I think I still have my souvenir program, and I was able to find it. I mean, I tore my house apart trying to find this thing, and I found it. I'm like, yes, vintage 88 SummerSlam souvenir program. Here it is. And I'm like, you have that moment with yourself. You're like, am I really going to bring this thing on the tour? And I'm like, you know what? I will. I'll just... I'll hate myself if I don't. I'll have it there. If a situation presents itself, whatever. And then, I mean, Hulk Hogan always took that extra second with everybody. He was always cool. And I was very proud of my performances on that tour. So the last night, we kind of had this party, and I was like, why not? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get this thing. I mean, the dude's being so cool. It didn't feel weird. I've proven myself on this tour. So, uh, yeah, I, I ran up there. And just to see his face, like, I mean, he popped for this thing when it came out. I was like, hey, man, this is going to be weird. I think I was seven years old, and I was at this thing, and all I wanted to do was, like, be the little kid that, like, reached out and, like, slapped your hand, and, like, now I'm on tour with you, you know, at the risk of sounding lame. This is a really cool moment for me. And, uh, yeah, when he saw his face just lit up to see this thing, and I'm sure it's something he hasn't seen since 1988, if he even saw it then, you know. So uh, it was kind of cool. He was, you know, he thumbed through it really fast, and then – wrote me a nice uh, thing on the front. So to go from just being that little kid looking up to Hulk Hogan type thing to uh, being on his tour was, was a really nice thing. And now it's just, I envision someday, almost like we touched on earlier, having some kind of career or life outside of wrestling. And, and maybe I'll meet new people that don't even know. I used to travel the world as this crazy pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to have that like framed magazine cover somewhere in my house. Or even if it was like, somewhere random, like a bathroom, and then someone comes over for a Christmas get-together, and they're using the restroom, they look up and see, like, thanks, Matt Hulk Hogan, and be like, thanks? What, what do you <laughs> What do you mean? That? Like, why is Hulk Hogan thanking you? Like, what? And then you're like, yeah, in a, in a former life, I was this crazy pro wrestler or whatever, so I love that uh, that'll always be something that's with me. You uh, grew up as a fan of Hulk Hogan. You have the personal experience with Hulk Hogan, working for him with Hulkamania. And just as a fan, as someone who had met him and, and been so close to him uh, for that tour, uh, what are your thoughts right now with what, what Hulk Hogan is going through in the, in the press right now, this whole scandal? Do you have any? Do you kind of just sit back and, and think one way or another about it? I mean, obviously, it's like you hope he didn't say what he said, and it's like, ah, crap, and then... And it's not not good. No one's going to sit there and defend him, obviously. But it's like I can just speak to the personal experience. And, and I mean, he doesn't owe anyone anything. And I'm speaking in particular to that uh, series of shows in Australia. You know, going into it, I thought, this is Hulk Hogan's tour. I'm so lucky to be a part of it. I can't wait to do it. And I had this tinge of, like, I wonder if I'll meet him, even though it's his tour. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I do, it'll be in passing. He'll be kept in his own room. We won't really interact with him. I mean, he's Hulk freaking Hogan. Again, he doesn't owe me anything. <laughs> he doesn't really owe anybody anything. Uh, he's the man. So 
I remember day one of the tour getting off this 20-hour flight or wherever it was into Sydney and, and seeing him, and there was that element of being starstruck because I'm like, hey, that's actually Hulk Hogan. That's really funny. And, and he came right over and introduced himself and, was, and was, you know, I thought it would just be like a kind of passing, like, whatever, and he, where are you from? What are you all about? And just asking all kinds of questions and just really going that extra mile. I mean, he was so busy that I always appreciated it. And it's like when we had days off, I was so grateful because they were truly days off. I mean, so I would be surfing or taking a boat ride around Australia or going to a zoo or holding koala bears or just really soaking it all up and taking advantage of the situation. And he would be on an eight-hour drive to a children's hospital, the eight hours of which he was on the phone doing interviews. And once he got there, he'd go to an autograph signing after that. And then he'd be up late driving back. And it's like it was 24-7. So to get a glimpse of that that we're all loosely aware of, but to, to live it alongside him and see when you went to an airport how he's just mobbed and how it's picture after picture after picture, how you have to be on 24-7 and that idea of living under a microscope. And, and we're all loosely aware of it. We always read about it. But to, to live it for that two weeks, I just remember being so impressed. And it's like we all want this fame and fortune, or, or a lot of us do, or envision that, or we're kind of sold that dream. And then when you see it in action, I remember just thinking, like, that has to be insanely exhausting. I mean, I remember sitting next to him in an airport, seeing him just getting swamped. And then I remember him boarding the flight early or going to the restroom or something. And I remember one of the people who had just taken a picture with him asking the person next to him, who was that? They just got caught up. In, in, in the celebrity of it. They just got caught up in everyone's taking pictures, so I better take a picture. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to... So there were some people, and obviously the minority, some people took a picture and, you know, took that second of his time or, or, or you know, I don't want to say bugged him, but, but you know, were asked something of him, and they didn't even know who he was. So it's like that idea that you're just going to get swept up in the storm 24-7. It was, it was, it was crazy to see, uh, you know, what he what his reality is and what he has to deal with. And then to be cool to all of us and not like take it out on us or not just escape in those couple free seconds that he had. I remember me and Valvinas talking about wrestling and specifically talking about wrestling in Mexico. And, uh, you know, we're just having this conversation about our experiences and then Hulk Hogan kind of just like moseyed on over. <laughs> and obviously if you and I are talking and another person kind of comes into that situation that changes the dynamic of it but it really changes the dynamic when that person mosing over just happens to be like hulk hogan so <laughs> i remember he's just, and it was just like a, hey what are you guys talking about like he was just again like always available always open always cool not i just didn't imagine almost myself in those situations getting five minutes free time and just wanting to like run and hide or something <laughs> right. or recharge or just something but but yeah he was he was always so cool so i mean i just uh, this, this whole situation is obviously unfortunate, and it's just I, I just think about the personal experiences that I had with him, and kind of judge him based on that rather than you know hearsay. And, and I haven't heard anything uh, myself, and, and you know hope it not to be true. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate. Obviously, I think a lot of us are you know Pokemaniacs, and you don't want to see something like that. But, uh, but yeah, it, I, I mean, it can't change the, the personal uh, experiences that I had with him, and. and and I'll never forget kind of him going an extra mile with us. The uh, final question comes from Twitter at shake them ropes. Matt, have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, trying to think this seems like some setup for a joke. And I'm supposed to no, I, I just want to know. I, I just want to know if you've ever seen a ghost. 
I remember uh, on set of Lucha Underground feeling like I got tapped one time. I turned around, no one was there. And I turned around again, Katrina was there. So I don't know if that counts. But. Oh, it's, it's pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Well, I, I asked this question and, you know, most people say no. And most people say, no, I, I guess I never have. I've gotten some yeses. So I, I never know. You know, I, I asked this question. Daniel Pewter, of all people, said he indeed has seen a ghost before. So uh, and had a pretty I've convincing story. I've stories that they're certain they have. I can't say that I have. Okay. Um, final uh, final moment here, uh, Matt. Son of Havoc on Lucha Underground. The season finale uh, kicks off July 29th with Ultima Lucha. Uh, go ahead and tell the people uh, how they can find you and where you might be next. Uh, I'll be in Las Vegas the, this coming weekend, and uh, it's funny, when I did my little exit interview for Tough Enough, I said this, and it rings so true, and I think they had it on the website for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I knew that I was upset that I was going home, and it, without burning any bridges or being unprofessional, I kind of wanted to uh, stick it to them a little bit, and I remember saying that, like, this is what I have done and will continue to do, so if you're sending me home now, look for me in a city near you this weekend, and that continues to be true this many years later, so... You can uh, follow me and my travels on uh, Twitter at twitter.com backslash mdogmattcross. That's two Gs, two Ss. And then facebook.com backslash mdogmattcross. Uh, I try to respond to all messages I get and uh, all booking offers. And I love staying busy. I love wrestling. I love interacting with people. I love meeting the crazy people that are involved in this business because I don't think you can be quote-unquote normal and want to beat people up and be beat up for a living. So it could you know, really attract some colorful characters that I enjoy and uh, and the fans as well. I mean, it's like wrestling fans are just some of the most like passionate people uh, on earth, whether <laughs> they like you or not. It, it's cool to see like that fire that just is awoken in them. So, yeah, uh, I love uh, interacting with everybody and uh, hope to see you guys uh, on the open road. Catch Matt Cross as Son of Havoc on Lucha Underground again, the finale, July 29th. Uh, Matt, I'm glad things are going well for you. Uh, good luck in the future, and thanks so much for taking time for us today. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.